Nehemiah chapter 12. We've only got one more weekend with him, with Nehemiah, but we've got some things to learn about. As we've said, you may remember, Nehemiah was a gifted leader who was serving as a trusted cupbearer to the king of Persia, the ancient king of Persia. But he gets some news that rattles his cage. Jerusalem, 900 miles away from Nehemiah, the city of God is broken down. And this broke his heart. He didn't want this for God's people. So he left his lavish lifestyle in the palace to move back to this desolate, just kind of, you know, broken down town to see about fixing it. And what we've learned in this series is that God calls his people, each of us, he calls his people to fix broken things. There's brokenness all around us. And the brokenness that God calls us to fix is because it breaks God's heart to see not just physical places, but people and, uh, and environments and in communities in shambles. And so Nehemiah is the shining example to each and every one of us of what one person can do to decrease the brokenness on planet Earth a little bit in God's name. So first for Nehemiah, there was the broken wall, we learned. The wall around the city of Jerusalem was down. The gates burned out. This was old destruction from the the Babylonian Empire who had come and and destroyed Israel and the temple and ruined this wall. And so this meant, though, for today, God's people were harassed. They were unprotected. And there's no wall to to, to protect them. And so Nehemiah shows up, formulates this plan, and that wall gets fixed in 52 days with God's help and God's people. This was a miracle, even by today's building standards. But his work wasn't finished. Next, we see that God's people were spiritually broken. The wall was broken. Their spirits were broken. They were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They were disorganized. They stopped reading their Bibles. No one had been going to church for like 100 years. And uh, the church was closed. The church was closed, the temple. So they were spiritually dry and empty. They felt far from God. And it was impacting their life. They were at a spiritual low point. So Nehemiah, again, steps in with the help of Ezra, another leader, to bring together God's people and revive the spirits of the people with the spirit of God. These, they began reading scripture. They started by just opening up the Bible and like, hey, let's read the Bible, which by the way, is a lesson for us. If you're ever spiritually dry and you're disorganized and you're disillusioned in your spiritual life, the first thing you should do is open up God's word and start reading it and getting this scripture and the life of God, the words of God in your mind and your heart and revitalize and replenish your spirit because this is, this is our life textbook. This is This is God's plan for you and for me. And it shows about who God is and his love for us. And so they start there. And then they organize from that point public worship revival meetings and prayer and repentance and recommitment services. They open up the temple again. And bam, worship is flowing. It's going. Food is flying out of the kitchen, so to speak. And the people are getting revived. In the last section in the book, the city itself, we learned, was broken. Nobody lived there. It was a little bit like downtown Roseburg. Nobody goes there. (laughs) Who wants to? And I mean, Jerusalem, though, the center of God's present. The the center of God's presence on planet Earth was empty. So Nehemiah once again steps in with the plan to repopulate the city, get things moving again. This has all taken place. 
before chapter 12, which is where we are today. And what we see in this chapter is one of the largest worship services in Israel's history to this point. So let's take you through the passage. We're going to look at it. Let's start in verse 1. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, or Yeshua. Stop. Okay. Uh, did, you, did you look at what's going on like right after this? <laughs> did you see? Well, some people are laughing because there's a bunch of names. This is another list chapter. Another list chapter. Another section in the Hebrew phone book is what we see here. Okay. <laughs> And they're all hard to pronounce, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not going to embarrass me or you, all right? (laughs) Nehemiah loves, though. He loves lists. This is not the first list we've encountered in this book so far. And uh, this is all the way to verse 26. Um, And so let me just, uh, you can take out those message notes. It's a couple of thoughts on this section. So first we see not only one more Hebrew list, that's your first fill-in, Now, why is that funny? I don't understand that. Some people laugh. That's not a joke. Uh, But what we're seeing here is an emphasis in these names of their priests and their Levites are listed here. That's who's primarily, this this is historical. So it's not just priests and Levites of Nehemiah's present day, but he's, he's reaching back into history and he's starting with priests and Levites from the three major migrations from Babylon back into Israel. All right, quick history uh, recapper. So we know that the Babylonian Empire came in in 586 BC and completely destroyed the southern kingdom of Israel, completely destroyed Jerusalem, the temple. And, And after those battles were over with, whoever was still alive from Israel, the conquering kingdom of the Babylonians, Uh, exiled the remaining Jewish folks into other parts of the Babylonian Empire. So that would be Iraq, Iran, Turkey, some of these modern-day countries giving an idea of the geography. So they pulled them out of Israel and repopulated them, and there they sat for 70 years in a foreign land, the Babylonian exile period. But then the Babylonians were conquered themselves by the Persian kingdom, new kingdom, new regime, new set of governmental doctrines, and the government of Persia said, no, all of, you repopul- all of you people that are in exile, we'll let you go back to your home countries. And so they did. They, the, Israel said, okay. Many Jews said, 50,000 Jews said, we'll come back to Jerusalem, we think, around 50,000. And this happened in three migrations. And the first migration was led by a man named Zerubbabel, who is the first person listed in this list. And Zerubbabel led a, a group of, of Jewish people back, and they, they not only moved back to Jerusalem, but they rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the temple. But this, this was um, a long process. And so there are some Levites and priests listed in each of these migrations in this section, verses 1 through 26. You follow. Okay, so we also see that worship leaders are highlighted here. In verse 8 in particular, this is the song leaders, the music leaders are named, which is Nehemiah's way of, of drawing some importance here about the ministry of worship and song to the people of God. God's people have always gathered in groups since the beginning, and they have worshiped God in music and song. And this is what we see here. It's fascinating, isn't it? This is, this is Nehemiah trying to emphasize. He's getting through to us here through 
I think an odd way for maybe in modern is which is like a list of names, but that's the message here. And the big picture, not only that, on your notes is, is that whenever you're trying to restore broken people or brokenness, what you do is you go back and you look at what God has done in the past. So he's reminding the people of God of their past. And, and that's because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change who he is in the past, what God has done in the past, the miracles, the faithfulness of God that he has, he has exhibited to those people that lived back then. That's the same God that's alive now. So we can pull that into our own circumstance, our own brokenness, our own challenge, and we can look at the history and we can say, oh, God did this, then he can do the same thing for me now. And this is so huge for us. And this is why the scriptures devote time to this. So that's happening here in this. And so, uh, again, we can just draw from this, draw encouragement. So that's what this list is. Now, let's keep going because there's more in this chapter. What we see in the rest of the chapter, verses 27 through 43, is we see, as I said, a huge worship service. One of the most incredible worship services that Israel had ever seen, had ever had happen, was in these words. Let's read it. Verse 27. Let's read some of it. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. So they're dedicating the wall. They've kind of done that before, if you've been tracking, but now there's like a special, special service to dedicate the wall. They sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate. I'm in verse 27 to celebrate the dedication with gladness and thanksgivings with singing and drums and electric guitar and acoustic guitar (laughs) with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem. This is saying that right here, All the worship leaders lived outside of Jerusalem, and so they're all gathered now in. Uh, Verse 30, the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Next verse, then I, I as Nehemiah, then I, Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Not one choir. How many choirs? Two choirs. Oh, I don't like choirs. Choirs are so old times. No, shut up. This is good. (laughs) Choirs are in the Bible. There's two of them. And then what happened? They were given thanks. One of the choirs went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And after them, and it names a bunch of people that went with this first choir. In that name, list of names there is Ezra. Ezra. Ezra's in the first choir. And verse 38. The other choir, the second choir of those who gave thanks, went to the north. So one went to the south, one went to the north. And who was leading that? I, I. Nehemiah followed with them with half the people on the wall. So... Both choirs, verse 40, both of those choirs, where am I at? Both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of the God. House of God is all of Jerusalem right now. And I and half of the officials with me, he names them, verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy 
And everybody was there. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This is cool, guys. This is so cool. We don't see this very often on this scale. I mean, have you ever been in a stadium and uh, maybe you're late? None of you are late on for anything. You're always on time. Uh, and you're and something's going on like a in, like Autzen or something, and a great play is made. Maybe the Ducks get a touchdown, and you can hear from here. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm not in there. I gotta get in there. Anybody ever had that? That's what's going on here. It's like this. You can hear it from the outside, and there's joy, and there's worship, and the drums, and they're just they're shouting and celebrating and singing, and and you can hear it from outside the city, from miles around. It was amazing. It's an amazing worship service. It would have been so awesome to be there that day. So I want to talk to you about worship today. And, 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 the, and the people were gathered there. God's people gather, as I said, for group worship. They've been doing this from the, from the beginning. The first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible is way back in Genesis. And it's in a group setting. It's in Genesis. Abraham has a small group of people, and he's like organizing a worship service. And it's just like super casual. He's like, in Genesis 22.5, he's like, hey, guys, wait here. I'm going to be back, and then we'll worship when I get back. All of us will worship together. So it's kind of almost like, even though it's the first time, it's like, oh, they've been worshiping together in groups. And God gathers people in groups to worship. This has been happening. Here in Nehemiah, it's a massive group. And so I want to talk to you about group worship a little bit. Group worship is not the only format that worship can happen. You can worship all by yourself. You can have a worship service with just you and the Lord, and it's a beautiful thing. You can take a walk in the woods. You can be reading your Bible. You can be singing worship in your car. It's just you, and no one can hear you, and thank God for some of you, because... <laughs> and, and I mean, by the way, this sermon, I'm going to offend every person in the room, so... Um, <laughs> That's my goal today. And if you haven't been offended yet, then just wait. Your turn's coming. Okay. I hope also you're encouraged and inspired more than that. But I want to look at group worship a little bit because this is the text. This is the topic of the text. So first, let's start with a definition of worship in general. And this is on your notes. I got this from Pastor Rick Warren. Uh, Great definition. Worship is, here's what he said. Worship is expressing our thanks and love to God for who he is, what he has done, what he has spoken, and what he has promised to do. That's a lot, okay? Worship is expressing your love and thanks to God. God's character, God's love, what God has done, the gospel, how he has forgiven us, what he has spoken in the scriptures, what he has promised to do. This is us loving God, expressing our thanks. And so anytime you express your love to the Lord, that's a worship, an act of worship. You're worshiping. You can do this in a lot of ways. You can do this, obviously, in music and singing, and that's our text. But this, there, music is just one tool to use to worship. You can worship through uh, study. You can worship through prayer. You can worship through an act of service. When you're serving in the name of the Lord, that's an act of worship. When you're giving, when we give in our services, we say this almost every weekend, when we give our generosity, we bring our offering to the Lord, we consider that an act of worship. It's not just, you know, we feel guilty. No, don't give out of guilt. Give out of worship. Express your love and thanks to God. That's why we do that. So there's a lot of reasons why we gather, though, to worship, many ways to worship. But why do we gather to worship? 
There's three ways. Well, there's lots, but we'll do three today. First is really important theologically and, and just we got to get this down. We, we gather to worship because God loves us. And then we love him back. And it's in that order. God loves us and we worship. We love him back in that order. Order of operations is important. It is. It is. Our worship doesn't start with us first. It's not starting and initiated by me or you. It actually starts with God first and God's love. God's love for me and for you is what kicks the whole thing off. It's what starts it. It's what initiates it. So the number one reason why we gather to worship is because we are expressing God's love for us, which we know didn't start with us. It started with God loving us first. This is how this works. His love, his love, his love, his love, his love, his love is what awakens us to love him back. In other words, you didn't just become a Christian and start loving God on your own without a whole bunch of other stuff happening on God's side first. First and foremost, he's loving you. And this takes, the, this takes us out of the center of it and puts it on God, which is a good thing. Anything that takes a human out of the center of the equation is always a good thing. And this is how it works. 1 John 4.19 states this very beautifully. Uh, it says this, we love because he first loved us. This is a great memory verse. Short, sweet, to the point, super good. We love because he first loved us. Our love back to God then is a response to his love towards us, and his love is so much, so much more beautiful and full and rich towards us than ours is to him. So, true confession time. Can I just be honest with you for a minute? I've been honest the whole time. <laughs> Continue. I don't always feel like gathering for worship. I don't. There's times where I'm just like, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like being here. Am I? Is it just me? Have you ever felt that way? Let's raise your hand. Okay, some of you. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, uh, some of you are never going to raise your hand, no matter what I ask. It's great. I love it. But if we're honest, I think we've all been there. There's been times where we're just like, I just don't. I have no desire to go and worship in a group setting. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's exhaustion. You're just tired. You're physically tired. You're emotionally tired. Sometimes you're distracted. You're just letting things, or I'm letting things get sort of my, my focus pulled away. Uh, but other times it's this. It's I forget how much the Lord has loved me, is loving me. I forget about it. It just kind of fades to the margin. His massive love, and I forget that. And so what pulls me back into a motivation to be at group worship and to express my love and thanks for him is the, to remember the truth that he loves me so dearly, so much love from God to me. Jesus said it this way when we express worship back to him. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is loving God back with every part of us. Another verse adds strength to that list. There's so much love that the Lord has, and so for me to put all myself back into loving him, even though it doesn't equal it, but it makes sense that you would do that. And that's what we see in the scriptures. I love him back in group worship. Group worship is a really good time. Take the time 
to receive that love in a fresh way and then express your love back to him. Now, that's a good reason why we, we gather. I think that's probably the apex theological reason. There's another reason, though. The second one on your notes is because everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God. And, and this is so critical. Every good thing I have in my life, all the blessings I have in my life, and there's so many, they come from the Lord. Let me list some. The love of my wife, Christy. 27 years, this beautiful woman has been married to me. Can you imagine what it's like to be married to Pastor Billy? I am not easy to be with. Why? I'm pretty energetic. Uh, what are we doing today? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, come on. When we go on vacation, do you think I slow down on vacation? No. It is literally like from... From church to vacation, I make Excel spreadsheets of the things that we're going to do on vacation. And my wife still loves me. She's just like, okay, honey, what do we have next on your list? I mean, and she's got so much patience. She's a beautiful wife. I mean, just an amazing inside and out. My awesome kids, Aiden, 22, Karis, 20. They're both at the University of Oregon, which, you know, eh, whatever. But I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of them nonetheless. My friends. My friends, I have such dear friends in the Lord. My coworkers, the, the, the elders that I work with who are also my friends and also my coworkers, my staff team that, who are also my friends, the deep and rich relationships that I have with my community here at Redeemers. I'm grateful for so much of the blessings of God. And when I get into a worship setting, Part of why I sing and part of why I give thanks and I, and I engage in the group worship is because I'm expressing my gratefulness and my thanks for what he's done. And there's so much, the sunshine, I'm thankful for the sunshine. I'm thankful actually more often these days for the rain because uh, we've needed it. But the other day, I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for my lawnmower, okay? I know this sounds crazy, but the little things. The other day, not this week, but the week before, it was so hot, right? It was so hot. It had been raining, 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 and then all of a sudden it was like 90 degrees. And I went out in my lawn in my yard, and I could hear the grass growing. I could hear it. I could watch it. I'm like, wow, in the five minutes, it's grown a quarter inch. And this is Oregon. This is like Oregon and grass. It, grass, it grows faster, not just like weed, but just regular grass, okay? And so what did I do? I jumped on, I jumped on the, I jumped on the, the John Deere lawnmower that I have, this is, which is a beautiful, godly piece of equipment. I mean, it's so engineered and it just hums. And so uh, while the grass is growing, this John Deere is just powering through that wet, thick Oregon grass. And I go over it and it's just like, oh my goodness, Lord, I feel so good. This is such a blessing. The lines and the lines and the lines. <laughs> Praise God for John Deere, guys. Amen. We got a lot of those, don't we? There's a ton of passages about this. The Apostle Paul says in Romans, from, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. So Paul's like, everything is from God. And in response, I praise you. To him be the glory forever. And so worship is a response of God's blessing. And we're thankful and we're grateful. What are the things that you're grateful for in your life? 
your relationships, your friends. Maybe you don't have a John Deere. OK, whatever. You may, have, you may have a lesser brand, but still give thanks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> whatever. All things are from God. There's more scriptures. Let me just keep going. There's a lot of things. All right. This last one, I just need to talk turkey with you for a second. Let's go back to the text. We saw that worship was loud. Worship was joy-filled. Worship was jumping. And in verse 31, we see there's two choirs. The first choir was half the people. So they all gathered in Jerusalem, tens of thousands, and they're in Jerusalem. And they split everybody into two groups. And the first group, everybody's supposed to go with Ezra. Ezra's Israel's pastor. And I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they did it like, hey, everybody on this side go to Ezra or on this side. Or if they said, whoever likes Ezra better, go that way. <laughs> and whoever likes Nehemiah, maybe. I don't know. And maybe, maybe they did it that way. So half the people go. And then... And then half the people go with Nehemiah, and they each go in a different direction, and they're completely surrounding Jerusalem, and they're on the wall, the wall they just built. And then they start singing. They start worshiping. I think, doesn't say, it alludes to David's, like David's instruments. So David, King David wrote prior, he wrote, the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, which were songs, I think they were singing Psalms back and forth. And I think what they were doing is they were like going back and forth around the whole city. So half the city was singing a verse and then the rest of the city on the other half and they were singing. They were singing to God, but they were singing towards each other. And maybe, just maybe, maybe they were also doing one of these. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And then everybody else like, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And then it's back and forth and back. Let's do that now. <laughs> this side. One, two, three. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We do you. Oh, man, that was weak. Go. We All right, all right, all right, all right. So cool. Notice in the passage, <laughs> notice that nowhere does it describe a group of people who showed up that day and just watched with their coffee in their hand in the middle. <laughs> Everybody participated and they were singing. And that leads me to the last point. We gather because just watching worship is not worship. Just watching it is not worship. Just watching it. Okay, so onliners, I love you guys. As great as online church is, what's happened is some people have gotten the idea that online worship is a perfectly equal substitute to attending in person, and it's not. Because why? Just watching worship is not worship. Now listen, online church is, is critical. It's a critical step, especially if you're ill. 
And you can't attend in purpose, in, uh, in person. That's partly why we've invested so much into our online uh, infrastructure. We've got hundreds who join us online every week. And it's a good thing. It's, it's actually a really good thing for those who have physical limitations or if you're traveling and you want to keep up or for those, maybe you're checking out Redeemers. What we're finding is people will visit us physically after they l- watch our services online for a couple of weeks. And then they'll show up. Which is, which is actually a good thing. Uh, or if you're parents and you're, you just can't, your kid is sick or you, you lost a sock. I mean, one lost sock. And the whole world is like, what do we do? I get that. There's a lot of reasons why online church is a good option. But since the pandemic, okay, national statistics, Christians in America have stopped attending physically in huge numbers out of convenience because it's more convenient for them. I, I've heard this. I've heard, people have told me this. Pastor, I love going to church in my pajamas. And it's just so much easier. I'm so much more comfortable. Actually, what, what, so... What, what pastors like me, we, we gather and we, we talk to each other. We have come up with, there's a whole new denomination in America now. We call it the pajama denomination. <laughs> it's for Christians who have tapped out of attending physical church out of convenience. And let's be honest, in the, in the folks that treat online like this, uh, you can multitask while you're watching. You can do your checkbook, if you still do that anymore. Uh, You can fast forward a song you don't like. You can fast forward a sermon you don't like. You can switch over to a different pastor. You can click in, you can click out. And listen, that's not worship. That's not. That's absolutely not worship, not biblical. You watched a service, you didn't worship in a service because you didn't enter into God's presence with God's people in the music and the learning and the note-taking and the praying and the confession and the repentance and the serving and the fellowship and the eating of the donuts. (laughs) If you're healthy and you're available and you're online only, don't misuse online church because watching worship is, 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 it's sketchy that you're getting the full experience of the Lord. Worship is participatory. Now, speaking of that, for those of you in the room, I watch some of you every week, and you're here, and I'm glad you're here. And this is what you do, some of you, is you, you come into service, you don't talk to anybody, and you stand with your hands in your pockets, and you don't open your mouth, and you don't look at anybody, and you stare, and your head kind of goes like this, and then you walk out and you don't talk to anybody and you don't even eat a dang donut. I don't even know. What did you do? What did you do? <laughs> don't open your Bible. Don't take any notes. And so you have attended a worship service without worshiping in it. Some of you are like, okay, well, that's okay, Pastor. Now I get what you're saying, but I don't like to sing. I don't like to sing. I get that. I get that. Most guys are like that. Most guys don't like to sing. I don't know why that is. Do you know why that is? I don't know. And we just don't. We're wired that way. And some gals don't like to sing. And so I get that. But listen, 
Listen to me. Since when do your personal preferences determine your obedience? Also, well, I don't like the music here. I like XYZ type of songs. Again, since when do you let your personal preferences determine your obedience? I like slow songs. I like fast songs. I don't know. I like, I like electronic music with no, with me, personally, Billy. I like electronic music with no lyrics. That's my favorite type of music. You know why? Because it's so organized. It's like, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, every four count. I just, it's like, it's like ministers to me. That's my, I'd listen to that all the time while I'm writing sermons. These brilliant sermons are because of that. Um, teasing. <laughs> we don't have worship like that here. I don't think that even exists anywhere. Who cares about your preference? When you just are in the love of God and the spirit of God is here, just, just, okay, I get it. I would be nice to have a song that you like, and maybe, you know, maybe we can get there at one point. But guys, it's not about that. It's about everything but that. It's about praising him and engaging him and telling him how much you love him because he loved you first and being thankful. So for if you're here and you don't sing, you don't open a Bible, you don't take notes, you don't engage in fellowship and conversation, you don't serve, you don't give, and you don't do anything, I don't know why you're here. Participate. Participate. Experience the Lord. Oh, okay. What happened in this service is, like I said, you could hear it from miles around. And you know what was going on is the enemies of God who hated Israel were like starting to get more and more freaked out. And man, when we are, when we are fully locked in and we're engaging in group worship, our enemy, our enemy, Satan, he hates that, but he gets freaked out too. So we really do, we really do want you to engage in worship because we want victory in your life and we want you to engage in Jesus and get everything you can out of these things. So can I encourage you today to sing, to participate, to just jump in? Maybe you're not a good singer. That's okay. That's why partly why we have it loud in here to drown out <laughs> the, the bad singing. What a blessing. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the sermon. Let me pray for us. Okay, Lord, I thank you so much that a, an old passage that maybe on the surface that doesn't seem like it has much applicability, it really does. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us by your grace to participate to express our love and thanks for you in group worship. I thank you for every person here and online. And I'm asking, us, I'm asking you, Lord, to help us grow and help us give ourselves, give ourselves to you fully. And I'm praying, Lord, that our praise would be, would be a blessing to you, Lord. That our praise of our mouths, our lives, would be a blessing to you. Our, I pray our life would be a worship song. And Lord, when we gather together, Lord, we want the focus to be on you. So, Lord, we love you, and we just pray all these things in your great name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.